Hey, beautiful people. Thank you for joining us today in this sacred space where we chat about holistic healing, spirituality, health journeys, and so much more. Today, I am joined by the incredible Melinda McLennan. Melinda is a mum to her beautiful daughter, Evie Grace. And this time last year, Melinda was a first time mum sitting at home, reeling in the traumatic birth and emergency C-section that took place one week prior. Eight months on from her severe crisis, Melinda is here today advocating for a mother and baby unit for Northern New South Wales, which she will chat more about in today's episode. Melinda has already created a petition with the hopes of gaining 20,000 signatures. Reaching 20,000 signatures means the topic gets tabled for a discussion in Parliament. What a true gift to be able to have this imperative topic opened up and discussed in a public forum with those who have the capacity to implement and fund this crucial service. Hi, Melinda. Thank you for joining us today. Hi, Kristen. How are you? Good, thank you. So just to start with, could you please share with the listeners just a brief background story and expand more on what I just said about how you got to where you're at today? Yeah, sure. Like I had EV on the 24th of February um, last year. Um, I had such a great pregnancy. It was very, apart from morning sickness in the first trimester, it was pretty easy. I was well and healthy and was enjoying everything. Um, Evie ended up being nearly 42 weeks, so in the medical world, well overdue. Um, I was more than happy for things to just keep going the way it was because I was healthy. I knew that she was healthy. Um but they wanted to induce because I was post-states and they thought I was going to have a large baby, but I was just so willing to just listen and respect my body. But unfortunately, it created anxiety with their want to immediately induce me. Um, and I woke up early one morning with a panic, panic attack thinking that she wasn't moving, there was something wrong, um, which then led to sort of a induction, which I wasn't so happy about um, and then from the induction it went quite sour, well, sour really because I was sort of doubly, doubly labouring with labouring naturally as well on the drip and Evie's heart rate just was sort of skyrocketing and then plummeting really low and she wasn't stabilising quick enough before I had my next contraction um, because I was almost having a constant contraction and then had contractions on top of that. So I had this constant tightening that wouldn't go away and I knew something wasn't right, which then sent me into sort of a, um, uh, an emergency C-section. And from that point, everything just sort of um, sped up, was going so quickly. Um, I was probably in shock from the whole thing and it just took a long time. Um, to come out of that shock so um, that was from the birth Um, following that I got home I was sent home less than 48 hours after having Evie um, which I knew I wasn't ready to leave but the midwife was lovely and came and said oh you can go home today and I was a bit like oh okay Um, but I didn't know what to say I didn't know I had the capacity to say no I'm not ready Um, so I went home on Saturday afternoon, my milk came in and with that, I had this sensation that I was, it hit me, I was eating dinner that night and it hit me and I just felt this sense of time warp or um, really like, I felt like someone was giving me drugs and I was high on drugs. I just felt really spaced out. 
um, mm. which was which was frightening more than anything. And I knew from that, I'm like, oh, this doesn't feel right. Something's not right. But um, I was kind of assured that that's kind of normal. You know, it's kind of the part of the baby blues, the hormones, hormones leveling out. Um, but I just didn't feel right. And it was so, so frightening. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Thank you for sharing all that. Um, this is so interesting. I mean, you know, it's so it's it's such a vulnerable place, you know, the first time you're pregnant, the whole pregnancy, and then obviously the labor, no matter wh- how it ends up happening, how that baby ends up coming out, you know, it's such a vulnerable place to be in. Um, and I mean, did you feel quite supported by, you know, our medical system and the people you were having appointments with throughout the pregnancy? How did, how did that part feel to you? Um, prior in like prenatal, I felt like it was pretty reasonable. Um, but sort of as I was sort of getting close to like my due date, you know, there was words of like, oh, we'll leave you to 40 weeks and we'll see what happens. But then we may need to, if you want to, we can book an induction. So I felt even before that I got to that 40-week mark that there was already sort of words of induction if, you know, mm. things kept going. Um, so, yeah, so nearing, like, nearing when her due date was, I felt it became less and less supportive. Um, so on the Monday before I had her, I had a stretch and sweep and then I'd, then they um, had a doctor do a bedside ultrasound just to make sure that, you know, things were good. And she just said that her flu- Evie's fluid levels were low, which they, apparently they commonly are because towards the end of pregnancy that does happen. But she was saying that they're frighteningly low. And then she just said, oh, I'll just, I'd recommend induction this afternoon or early tomorrow morning. And it was said so matter-of-factly as, as if, oh, look, you've got a broken leg, we'll just put a cast on it. You know, it wasn't yeah. just, there was no consultation. There was no, okay. I'm a little bit concerned. I feel that the fluid levels are low. Um, you know, these are your options. How are you feeling? Do you have any concerns? Like it was just, there was no checking in with me because at the end of the day, it was my body, my baby. And I'm like, I didn't have any concerns. Like I even said to the midwife, no, this sounds silly. I said, I could actually go happily go another two weeks being pregnant. Like that's, you know, I'm moving slow and I'm kind of pottering, but I don't, I'm not sick. I'm not, I'm well, I don't feel I'm well, um, like I, I thought, yeah, I could keep going. Like I'm fine. Um, and so, yes, I didn't feel that was very supportive. Um, and so I kind of left that. I said, oh, I'm not making a decision now. Um, and I went in the car and I called Abdullah and she said that, you know, you were within your rights to um, organise like a proper ultrasound, um, which I did. And I got that the following day um, and her fluid levels were fine. So yeah, they were okay. higher than what? They were um, within the normal range on the lower end, but that's because she was so, you know, she was pregnancy was moving on, um, but the levels were fine. Um, and that afternoon I had a call from the mid, my midwife and then she said to me, I'll have to call the doctor, I'll have to come and um, call you as well just to like routine, just to speak to you. And she got on the phone and she just kind of said that everything, like it was just doom and gloom. It was just like, you know, you're going to have a large yeah. baby. I'm estimating 4.2 kilos. And I know my stature and I'm like, there is no way I'm having a 4.2 kilo baby. I just knew, knew deep down. She'd end up being like 3.4 kilos. Um, And it was just like, she was just like, you know, it's going to be a big baby. You know, it's going to be hard. Like just rattled off everything that's that's dangerous about it. Um, Yes. 
So, so do you feel just, like a lot of your choice was taken out of the decision? Uh, well, actually said to her, I said, like, I feel like you're forcing my hand to induct- induction. She's like, no, 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 I'm not doing that. And I was just like, I think it wasn't, I mean, I think there was always that you've got the choice, but it was more that I felt like in a way that there was a sense of power over where they kind of coerced mm. you into doubting yourself. So it wasn't like, yes. you know, you have to come in and we're doing this. It was more of a done in a way that this is my professional experience. I feel that, you know, this, this, is, this is bad. It's going to be really hard. You know, we need to do this now. And then it, yeah, coerces you into thinking that I don't know what's right with my body. I don't know what's right for my baby. They've had years. They do this in day in, day out, and they know what's best. So, yes. Um, so in that way, yes, yes. Yes, absolutely. So. And it's, um, it's so interesting because, you know, we do on some levels, I don't want to say need, but we really want and desire their support, especially when you've never done it before. It's your first pregnancy. Like we don't have the experience and education that they have, but we do yeah. have our internal instinct when it's our own child and we're growing it. And we do have our yeah. own experience with our own bodies. Like you said, you knew your stature and then they said the different sizes of the baby and it wasn't. And it's just so interesting. Um, so I feel, I feel like, I mean, I'll share a bit about my experience with my first child in a, in a minute, but you know, when I went through that as well, I can definitely a hundred percent relate to all of like putting trust in them out of fear Mm. and then doubting myself. But at the same time, almost feeling like backed into a corner. That's why I asked the question about choice because I felt like they gave me a choice as well, but I was backed into a corner at so many times. And then I was absolutely terrified at certain points being pregnant or about labor because I had never done it before. I did not know what was going to happen. And so, yeah, it's so interesting because I feel like, all right, there are holes in this system, you know, and I'm not the only mother. You're not the only mother. There are many, many, many with many, many stories. And that's why I wanted to because, you know, moving forward, we need to make sure we're nourishing the mother's mental, emotional and physical health throughout and, and, you know, um, manipulating her in a way or or making her doubt herself is only going to feed into you know when she progresses forward and goes on that journey as a first-time mother you know she ends up hospital system back you know and it's kind of can become this cycle so you know and it's interesting oh sorry you go I was gonna say 100% and I think that to me that's definitely linked like taking that trust and internal intuition out of me because actually when she was born and I was sort of going through day to day as a newborn, I didn't trust myself. I didn't know what that – everyone says, oh, tr- no, do what feels right. And I'm like, I actually don't know what feels right because I feel like mm. from that get-go – well, not the get-go, but that, you know, one like one or two weeks before she was born and then to the birth and the labour, that that was sort of like at every step I was kind of like met with – you know, pushing to sort of go further like up the drip on the syntocin and it's just like I don't feel this is right. Like I feel like that kind of then slowly drew out of me like that intuition that I was like obviously slowly building and building confidence over, over time and then as things went on I was like I don't know what's right. I don't know what's right, you know. Yeah. I, I, I lost that internal compass because I think I was sort of it kind of 
was pushed out of me because they knew better. And I'm like, well, I'm on my own now. I don't, I don't know what's right. I don't know what's, what I should do. So it definitely made an impact for sure. Yes, that's so interesting. I mean, I feel like if during pregnancy they, they focused in on things like teaching mum to use her mother's intuition, I find mother's intuition almost at least 10 to 20 times stronger than, you know, the, the genuine intuition that is there, you know, day to day. When I became a mother, I was like, boom. I was like, whoa, it is like such a powerful feeling when, mm. you know, there's something guiding you. That's for my child. That's not for my child. That's dangerous. That's safe, etc. cetera. Um, and I feel like that, you know, during pregnancy, there's all these things they are telling us to do and encouraging us to do. And they, and we can still do those, but imagine if there was a change where mothers were made to feel safe, comfortable in their own body, were taught to trust the intuition, even if it was for the first time ever. But once that baby starts to grow, there's this powerful, strong connection between mother and baby that nobody, nobody else has in the entire world. So imagine focusing on that. Imagine the difference in labor. Imagine the difference, the decline in postnatal depression. Imagine the, you know, like you said, you got sent home and you were like, oh, what? like you just go with it. Like you're so vulnerable mm. at that time. Like I was as well. I was, I was a little bit different to you. I was in hospital for five days. So I appreciated the help and support. I had no idea. But I also found in that environment, I was so bombarded by their belief systems, their policies, their procedures, um, that by the third day, I kind of lost it. And I really wanted to leave because it was almost, um, I was almost drowning in it. And I really lost myself mm -hmm. and I was, my body was very inflamed from birth and all of that. Um, so five days later, I got into my own home and whilst, yeah, I was obviously lost not knowing what to do, I started to find my feet a little bit more in my space because it, you know, cleared out some of their stuff that was kind of, you know, coming into my brain, coming into my body. Mm. Yeah. I, to I totally agree. And it's, it's interesting because obviously we've had the complete reverse. Like I was just like, oh, I feel, I feel like I know I needed to be sort of back in there. And I think it's because I was physically obviously had the C-section. So like physically yes. like moving around for me was like, was such a struggle. So I was, and it, and it has been like, I think, because I've just sort of been um, recently, well, not overly tall, but tall and, and slender. And I've never really been able to build muscle by any, you know, um, hmm. um, any, so I've always just been that sort of slight. And for me, it just took a toll. Like Evie was just getting stronger and stronger. And I was, you know, just barely sort of getting out of bed. And um, yeah, so for me, I think that was a hard thing. And I just knew I'm like, I'm not going to be able to cope sort of, you know, physically. Um, so that's why I sort of felt like I just wanted to be in there a little bit longer just to sort of get used to the feeling of being, you know, have, having that incision, having that cut, having that sensation of how do I get out of bed, um, you know. Yes. So that was um, – so it's, it's interesting. But, you know, insane. if I had have been in there for a bit longer, I could have then, you know, also had that kind of bombardment of um, of information and different ideas that could have – thrown me as well but then I think I came home and I was what do you do google stuff because you you need to find that yes. support in that community um and then I think for me that bombardment of information was just like oof, you know um yes. I then just couldn't filter and then because I was just so wide I just couldn't switch off and yeah yes that, that sent me on a really negative path 
Yeah, I can relate. And it's interesting what you shared about her size and your size, because I am also tall and slender. And when I was pregnant with my first child, they, you know, towards the end, very similar to you, they mentioned the induction and will just induce you the whole time. And I also had a doula. So my doula and I knew that we didn't want to be induced unless there was a huge risk to me or the baby. And so I, I really had to stand my ground. And it was, I, I think I made it to whatever the very, the very last um, maximum they could keep me was, which I, th I think is 42 weeks. Is that correct? Because my son's five now. So it was a while ago. And they yes. booked me in for an induction on the Saturday. And they just said, there is no way we can let you go any further because you're 42 weeks or whatever it was. And he was, um, he seemed to be a big baby and I am like, I'm tall, I'm long, but I'm, you know, I'm quite slight. So, and they told you, what was it? 4.2 kilos. You'd need a Caesar. My son was 4.5 kilos and I had him naturally. Yeah. So yeah. there you go. And I, yeah. And I had had a lot of sickness. My body, uh, same. I've always had trouble building muscle. So slender, but you know, I've never felt like I've had a very strong body, had a lot of um, sickness, so that made it weaker. And I was able to birth a 4.5, 53-centimetre, you know, very healthy, still baby. to this day, very healthy baby, very strong, very, you know, no issues, health issues whatsoever. And um, when I was in the hospital, actually, and, you know, you have the baby and there's all the other babies, everybody around me, just they just assumed I'd had a Caesar because of his size. And I said, no, I had him naturally. But again, I had to be very clear, worked with my doula and upfront and I wrote it all down. And I said, you know, um, again, unless it's an emergency, I don't want to be induced. I don't want to have the Caesar, but you know, it was, it was such a, um, yeah, like back and forth with that self doubt, like you said. And I just think, imagine, imagine if mothers could feel differently about this whole process and themselves, what a different experience moving forward when you actually come home with your baby. And that was my next question for you. So when, you know, now you're at home and you've had Evie, um, how did you manage the next few weeks, the next few months going forward? Like, would you like to share a bit about that? Yeah. I mean, I suppose you could say I managed it because I got through it, but at the like, I, I really wasn't managing. So I had an oversupply, which a lot of people do have quite a lot of milk in, they say four to six weeks. Um, but mine, four weeks came and there was still so much milk. Six weeks came, there was still so much milk. And I, up until I reckon about eight or nine months, I was still having like on the occurrence of regular sort of engorgement. Um, so that that was a huge issue. So trying to deal with feeding her um, and just having constantly full hard breaths. I was on the phone mm called the Australian Breastfeeding Association like so many times and was taking on their advice and reading lots of stuff and everything I tried it just wasn't working like hand expressing wasn't working because then you feed her and it come back with full vengeance um you know feed her when they're starting to get full um that wasn't sort of working either so I was constantly in pain and agony and having the sensation of them just like so rock hard and so full and then obviously I just like a fast letdown because I was so full it would just come out so quickly that I wasn't managing feeding her and then she wasn't managing either and then obviously it was like too much for her so then she was getting wind pain and things like that and um yeah, like that was extremely, extremely difficult. And it, while it wasn't diagnosed, I know now, I would have had about probably low-level mastitis the whole time. 
because I'd yeah. constantly gone from like really rock hard and then being able to empty them and then she'd go, you know, can they get quite full again and then she wouldn't want to feed because she's obviously full enough and then, you know, they say don't, you know, try, don't pump because the more like you obviously stimulation then creates more milk. So I was just so frightened to either hand express or pump because I just didn't want it to come back too much. So, um, yeah, it was really so difficult. Like I never had like she always had a great latch and she had a really strong suck. So, I mean, I was blessed in that way. Never had sort of any nipple trauma or damage or anything like that. But um, the oversupply, it was horrendous. And I think people who have, for me, I can say probably an o- undersupply or an oversupply is just as hard as, as the other. Um, because people say, oh, well, you can express and then stock up milk. But for me, no matter what I did, it would still just come back. And I could just feel them filling mm. and getting rock hard within like 20 minutes. And I'm like, you know. That uh, was just like, I can't do this because you don't know, like the only way to sort of get rid of it. And she is the best of clearing anything um, to get rid of it. So that was a struggle in itself, not only sort of recovering from, you know, the C-section. Like I tried to sort of baby wear her and I couldn't like physically, five minutes was enough that I could do and I couldn't sort of stand for too long or um, or I just mm. get so much pain down there. So that wasn't an option, even though she wanted to be held, but I couldn't stand up or hold her because I was just you know um struggling to to recover um yes yes and that is so emotionally painful I mean mine again was a bit different the breastfeed breastfeeding that whole experience but I didn't realize at the time how much emotional pain I was in because there was this separation between me and my baby when I was because I was, you know, very unwell and the pain, not C-section pain, different pain in the body. I had an undersupply. He wouldn't latch. I had to pump every hour in between each feed. And anyway, on and on it goes. So there was this emotional grief almost that I couldn't, I mean, I don't know if you can relate when you just said you weren't able to hold her. I remember that it was almost like a grieving feeling. And that sounds really funny because my baby was there, but it was like, we couldn't, connect at times Mm. because of this pain and then I had mastitis three times and then the antibiotics I was dizzy blanking out I couldn't so I couldn't get up you know it was just like this roller coaster and I just think shouldn't we be doing the opposite shouldn't the mother who has just birthed a baby and home on her own you know be nourished and supported and you know did the midwife come and visit you did you have a midwife Um, visit you afterwards I was on the uh, on an MGP, so midwifery group program. Um, okay. Yeah, I did. So my main one didn't visit me because she was obviously off her schedule. So I had one of the other persons on the team visit on, was it the Saturday? The Saturday or the Sunday? So a couple of days after Amy was born. Um, yeah, I only had sort of like two or three visits at home. So, But I had many conversations with my main midwife and I'm like, you know, something's not right, like I don't feel right. Like I remember sitting sitting in bed one day holding Evie. I think I just fed her and I was just like, I just want my husband to come get her because I don't feel, I don't feel right. And not in the sense that I was going to hurt her, I was going to hurt myself, but I think it was this spaced out, like like I was on high, like I feel like someone gave me some drugs, so I was on, I was high. I just felt yes. really high and I was like, I don't feel safe. I really don't feel safe. I just wanted him to come and get her. And so I mentioned yes. that to her and she said, oh, I said, I like obviously, I said, I don't really think I've slept much in the last couple of days, sort of like catching up from everything. And I said, I think it could be like, it could be that. And she said, Oh, it could be postnatal depression if that continues, like go see your GP. And I was like, 
gosh, that's a huge responsibility. Um, and obviously I, yeah. <laughs> I think I spoke to her the next day and I was like, yeah, like I'm feeling a bit better. So it definitely had a link to the sleep as well, but you mm. know, it just kept on like, like you'd get better and then you'd hit, you know, hit ground zero and then you get better and then you hit ground zero, but then your ability to get back up from ground zero was becoming less and less efficient because you had done it so many times. You're like, surely this is going to be the worst time, you know, I'm going to get there. Yes. So, um, yeah, it is yeah, a surreal, so... like it is a, when I even think back to it now, my son's five, I feel like it's a surreal dream I had or something at times because it is like physically, mentally, emotionally, spiritually, it, it's almost like, is this real? Is this really happening? Whether it's a sensation in your body or the hormones or, you know? Yeah, I remember saying to the, the midwife, I said, like, Evie's a week old today and I actually don't understand how that's happened. Like, I, yes. I, I don't, hmm. like, I mean, obviously I know the concept of time and time passing, but yeah. I think uh, I said, like, <laughs> it feels like it. It feels like yesterday she was born, but there's a week and I, I don't understand. Like I need you to help me understand how a week's gone by. And I think that was frightening to me because everyone then spins out the, spins out the term, um, you know, make the most of it. Like it goes so quick and I'm going, a week's gone by and I don't understand how a week's gone by. This, this is frightening. Everyone says make the most of it. I'm trying to make the most of it, but, but I don't understand how time's passed. And I think then that was even more mm. frightening because then that society pressure is like enjoy it, enjoy it and go so quick. Um it's just yes. so, so overwhelming. Um, yes, so, or yeah, so- it's like this expectation. Even now I think to myself, my son just started school. So, I'll be, you know, that, that idea of enjoying him. And some days, you, like, it's almost like I, I can't. I know that sounds really bad, but I am just yes. too tired or I'm processing, you know, something emotional within myself. So I cannot access that higher level emotion if if I'm in a lower level emotion because it's simply not possible and then you know it's I've I've got to take that expectation we all have to take that expectation off ourselves because some days yes you enjoy them and you're like oh my god they are just bloody amazing because they are but other days you're like today I'm here today I'm sad today I'm tired today I'm whatever it is you know I, I don't know I'll do my best today and that's it that's enough yeah, and I think that's something that's sort of learned coming out the other side from from where I have, which we'll get to us in soon, um, is that like I don't take on that statement at all anymore, and I'll never say it to anybody like oh go so quick it go so fast, even though people stay mm. still say it to me because every day I literally take it as it comes, and you know just honor as you said kind of honor every, the moment that you're in and what you're feeling and go this is where I'm at this is okay. Um, and just treat every moment as it is. And obviously going back to the biggest thing for me now is some people might disagree, but putting myself first, because if I don't put myself first, I can't, you know, meet Evie where she's at. And I think that the more I do that, then I'm able to meet her so much more and have more of those moments with her. So that I actually don't feel like times, you know, everyone's like, oh, time goes so fast, these seas go so fast. But now I kind of have this different perspective. I'm like, actually, no, it doesn't because I know and have learned the ability to create space where I need it if things are feeling like they're going too fast, that I have the ability yes. to slow them down. Um, I have the ability to, if I don't feel like I've had those moments with her, that, okay, how can I create space to have those moments? So to me, then the, the thing of they grow so fast, I don't feel like I've lost anything in now like even looking back on her newborn days 
I don't feel like I've lost, even though it was so traumatic and hard for us, that I don't feel like I've lost anything because I'm like, that's where you were, that's, that's fine. I still remember everything so deeply. And even now I think that, you know, there's no point in trying to miss stuff that's past because you were in it, you lived it. Um, and now it's just so important to to think about the moments that you do have, whether they're good or whether they're bad, and then I suppose living in that present moment. So I think that's where yes. I've come with it. And I feel just so much better. I don't feel like the years are like, you know, you know, tearing by um, or yes. moments or weeks are tearing by because I'm like, no, this is where I'm at. This is where we are. This is where we're meant to be. Um, and I feel so much more calm and centred around that because I don't feel like I'll get that societal pressure of, you know, make it, make memories and enjoy it while it lasts because it goes so quick because at the end of the day, you lived it, you were there. Yes, it, you know, time has passed, but it hasn't, time doesn't like it. There's no, there's still 60 minutes, you know, in an hour, you know. It's yes. not like then suddenly when time speeds up in the door, there's like a 30, 30 minutes in an hour. Like it's still the same construct of time and it's just what we make with it and the space yes. that we give to it so I think knowing that you actually have the ability to give space to things um, gives you that control or whatever how time moves and how time spent does that make sense <laughs> yes and I just oh I love that you just shared all that because I feel like it's also the the other side of that expectation that societal you know saying or our culture around it is almost like we're missing out, like, oh, enjoy it while last goes quick. It's like a panic. Enjoy it while last goes so quick. Like we've got to panic and we've got to, otherwise we're going to miss it. And it's like, like you said, well, I'm here and some days, yeah, it's like, well, you know, I live with my son. I see him every single day. So I used to feel like I'd missed out on a chunk because um, after I had him, I was very unwell. I'd had autoimmune and chronic illness before I had him. And then after, because I didn't have the support and nourishment I needed, it, it got really like quite um, severe. So yeah, a lot of other people were helping me. So that whole time, as I mentioned, it's like I was grieving him. I felt like I couldn't be with my baby as much as I wanted. And then I felt like I'd missed it in a way. And I really had mm -hmm. to work through that because that, like you said, if I didn't take that expectation and pressure off myself, even to this day, sometimes, you know, he's not getting, you know, the mum I want to be. And, you know, it's not, I'm going to filter all that crap down to him. And I just think there's so much I do day in, day out, week in, week out. So I really haven't missed out on anything. And, you know, I was still there. It's not like I, you know, was missing or away or absent in any way. So, yeah, it's, it's really interesting just how all these um, expectations and societal and cultural ideas that have just, just keep getting filtered down, but I feel like a lot of them are outdated and they're not working or they're causing further damage. So I feel like it's really a time, especially with what's been happening around the world in the last couple of years, to really look at these outdated things, especially the ones that are causing more damage rather than um, support or nourishment, and being like, well, why are we still using that? Maybe that needs to, you know, go in the bin, et cetera. I think that's, and I think there's a lot of things too, particularly one that I'll never say to anybody else is because I was said to me so many times, don't worry, it's going to get easier, it gets better. So oh, yeah. <laughs> you know, I just kept going, okay, it gets easier. Like, oh, the first six weeks are the hardest. Like, how's wait to the six weeks mark? Surely it's going to, 
you know, it's it's got to get easier. Um, but it clearly wasn't. And, you know, the more that I cried out for help, the more that it was sort of, you know, you know, when I went to the community nurse and said, I'm seriously concerned about my mental health, like this is not good. Um, and she said, oh, we'll just do an Edinburgh depression scale because I often get mums to do this after they have had a couple of bad days. So I left that appointment thinking, okay, it's just a couple of bad days. And then maybe a couple of days later, I think it got a bit easier. I thought, okay, it's all right. So, you know, that sort of, I personally think now, um, while reflecting on that, if anybody says to you they're concerned about their mental health during their, during their postpartum period, that they, some third professionals take it with both hands and go, right, let's get something in place for you. Not that yes. you do a depression scale. If you do register on the depression scale, but it's not severe. Um, actually, but no, I have found out since that anything over thir- 12 or 13, which I was over, I might have registered about 15, I think, um, that it is a trigger assessment for further crisis help because the likelihood of um, major depression is high, but nothing was nothing yes. was done. So I didn't know that at the time. I've, not, I've since found that out. Um, but, yes, that whole, you know, six well, – I don't know why there's a six-week mark put on things now um, – because yes it's it's to me I was like oh I've got to be good to go six weeks like uh I think that's just systemically over time and and with the whole statement where people say um it gets better it gets easier it's almost because it's been said for so long but it's so ingrained in people that it just it's not thought about it just comes off you know comes off the tongue it's just said because it's been said to them and prior generations that yes. it, it's just it's just what we say and what we do yes and sometimes and when you you know you love someone and you see them and someone said it to you it does just come out I'm pretty sure I've said it and I have the awareness around it and I probably just forgot in the moment you know because yeah. you know and I find the thing is obviously as time goes on as a parent I've found certain things get better but other challenges come you know I'm Mm. with a five-year-old now that has a different challenge to say a one-year-old that you're with you know so I have all these beautiful you know benefits and pros if you if you would say of five-year-old life but that's completely different to what all your benefits and all your challenges at one-year-old life and then you know that'll change again when she's two etc so yeah. So yeah, you're right. Like the challenges change, but they don't necessarily get easier. And so, um, yeah, it's just a statement that I, I vow like to never say to anybody because it rendered no no um, help to me. Um, mm. And I suppose in reflection, it was quite um, damaging because it gave me that sense of, okay, keep going. Like you know. You know, everyone's just saying, keep going, it gets easier. So you'll get through this, you know, and I, I will say that I'm a very persistent, determined person. So I took that with both hands yes. and kept on going, kept on persisting. And um, I, yeah, no matter how much I advocated for myself, it, it, it just was, you know, kept on falling on deaf ears or not being treated seriously um, to the point where obviously started to lose I, I never slept really from from when she was born I, I felt like I was just so wired from you know the drugs the induction drugs and then obviously going to the c-section all the drugs that they pumped you, you through there and then the, the horrendously bright stimulating lights um and then sort of coming out coming home and trying to get better from that well trying to understand and um, process what had happened then you're going to newborn life um that I was just so 
so stunned and on this roller coaster. I, I kind of explain it as if I was a hamster on a wheel and my legs were just going so fast and didn't have the, the capability mm. to stop. So um, that my body could never rest and sleep. Um, and then I think the first time it sort of started, to, I would describe it as a sleep slipping away from me. In 48 hours, I think I slept about four hours. Um, and then I did, I went to the hospital and they did give me some sort of medication um, and, but it was very loose. It was like, take some, like not even a specific amount, take some at night and then take some more during the day. If you feel like you're a little bit, um, you know, that anxiety's rising. Um, and I, I said, well, like I'm very slight. I know medication affects me significantly. Um, so I, I think I said, I'll just might take a quarter of a tablet. Um, and so I came home and had a quarter and I fell asleep and then I woke up in like, an absolutely startled state and thought, oh, I should go take another one just to make it half. And so I slept and then I had some more that night. So I did sleep a little bit the next couple of days, but by no means anything fantastic. Um, But that medication just rocked my nervous system even more. Um, And then I just Mm. lost the ability to sleep. And then I was running on three days with no sleep. I think within a week I ended up having five hospital presentations going back. Um, when I yeah, even called so an ambulance, mm. um, when I called the ambulance, because I was just like, I was obviously having a panic attack in such a fragile state. Um, I, um, and unfortunately, the ambulance drivers um, didn't didn't understand either, because the female paramedic just said, "Oh, you know, you can go to mothers' groups and you can feed your bottle out of a baby, uh, feed your baby out of a bottle, um, get more family support." And I'm like, "No, no, no, you don't understand. Like, I'm, I'm well." beyond that like I know like this stuff is not working because I'd also at that stage had super engorged breasts and I was just like I need some help I need to be admitted to sort of get me back to a state where I'm at least sleeping a bit and I'm feeding her okay and then I'm managing her okay but I got to my local hospital and they said oh we don't have a breast pump here there's nothing we can do just get your husband down to bring and feed her and I'm like you don't understand like she's not going to want to feed because she's full because I think that night or the night before I'd actually fed her because I could feel myself filling up um, and I couldn't sleep. And she was obviously so full that when I laid her back down, this tidal weight of water, uh, milk just came pouring out of her bassinet onto the floor. And I was horrified. I was just like, I thought I almost like drowned her in this milk I'd just given her. Um, mm. And so that was traumatic in itself. And I was just like, whoa, like, what do I do? Like, she's clearly not needing it because I've just got so much. Um and so they didn't understand there. And I'm getting my mother-in-law to take me up to a, the other major hospital. And um, then I was just met with this horrible nurse that had no compassion or empathy and just barked at me and said, what do you expect us to do at 4 a.m. in the morning? Like the mental health care, mental health care team people have gone. Um, you know, what do you want us to do? And I'm like, I, I don't know what I need you to do, but I need you to help me. Um, yes. and I said, can I please, can I please get admitted to like the women's care unit? Like, cause I'm thinking, cause they were very wonderful. They would be great when I was up there after having Evie. Um, and I was just like, oh, maybe that'll help me. And I had to fight and fight for someone to come down. Um, and to, even just to express, just to get the milk off. Cause I was like, I need to be fully drained. Cause this is just like excruciating. And he uh, managed to get someone to come down and then I was told that I should be very grateful that they've come down to help because they're very, very busy up there 
and they don't often come down to the emergency to do things like this. So I was always that almost just, mm, yes, horrible. Was That's almost a horrible. To, mm. Yeah. Made to feel as if I should have been um, praising the ground that they walked on because someone came down to help me. Um, yeah, almost like, happened, almost like you were an inconvenience, but this is meant 100%. to be a health care system which would obviously mean taking care of people's health especially a new mother Uh, I mean I can relate in different ways I had all this stuff going on I'm in and out of the hospital never been hospital before in my life and then back like five or six times within the first six weeks and I was just like what what is happening this isn't a healthcare system in my opinion nobody's taking it doesn't sound like you were taken care of almost the opposite you were made to feel like again like doubt yourself maybe you're a nuisance there's no one available to help you the hospital didn't have a breast pump for a a woman who's just had a baby and has full breasts like I'm sorry but there's a big hole there yeah or that was at sort of my local hospital which is uh, they don't do births there but still I think maybe it's something that they potentially should have it's not an expensive you know even to have it I know that they are expensive the symphony ones but they are like not not expensive for a hospital it's not you're not talking about like a thirty thousand dollar machine or something like that um but yeah yeah that was heartbreaking and I remember even saying like he say sat he sat down and said um so what's been going on and I just said oh because th- at that point I'd been awake I don't know how long I'd been awake but what hadn't been three days yet I was getting close to it and I just felt that every time I was repeating my story. I could just feel the light. Like it actually, I felt like a battery and each word I said was draining my battery. And I was like, this hurts to get it out. And mm. they just said, um, well, come on, I'm someone new. I haven't heard it before. Tell me. And I'm just like, you gotta be kidding me. Like I was expecting to say, it's okay. I've got you. Like we will, you know, take as long as you need. I'm here. I'm listening. That was what was, I was expecting to hear, but I was just met with this brash and harsh you know exterior wall like you're a nuisance like you've been in here like I had that was probably the first time I'd been to that hospital the major one in our area um I felt like I was you know someone who'd been in there 20 times that week and they had given sufficient help but I wasn't helping myself I felt like I was being treated like that's that's what was happening but I you know but clearly I wasn't um and I was trying to add, like, can I please just be admitted to the women's camp unit? Like, I just know that that's going to that's gonna help me. That's going to get me what I need. But it was just, no, that's just for new mums and bubs. Like, they don't do that there. Um, yeah. And so once my, my breasts were done, I'd been, like, drained. I felt, you know, so relieved. Um, I said to my mother-in-law, just get me out of here. Like, this is, there's no point in me staying here because I don't have the fight to keep pushing for what I need. To this person um it's just it's just it's just not going to work and I think then that's when I started to spiral even more because I thought I've gone to the hospital so many times they're not gonna like they can't they can't help me they've practically said well, what are you doing like we can't help you my family like I knew I was well beyond what they could provide like they were doing as much as they can by being around and supporting and helping caring for Evie but you know, they actually said we we need more expertise help because we don't we we're not qualified and capable for that. So I knew mm. that they were doing as much as they could. The hospital had said to me through that one nurse that there's nothing that they could do for me, and I'm like, what am I going to do? Like, 
I'm feeling worse. I'm not, I know I'm on this roundabout of no sleep and my body needs some sort of circuit breaker to help me. I just played in for medication. I was like, can you just help me? Can you get something yes. to help me sleep? And they just said, you know, there's nothing you can give you because you're breastfeeding. I later found out that there's stuff that they could give me because I got it on the, yes. got it in the end. Um, but it's just like, it was, it was just horrible. It was just knowing that there's not that help. And, and I got to the point that, um, to my last hospital visit, I stayed in my local one for all day because I went back there again. Um, and I just said to this nurse, I must, I grabbed on her hand and I said, I must have looked so, so dejected. I said, please do not send me home. Don't give me more medication. Don't send me home again. I said, I can't, it's not working. I need your help. And she looked at me and I think she finally got me and she was like, all right, we're not going to send you home until we've got a plan. And I was just like, thank goodness. But she said, we're really, really busy here. We probably won't get to you for a long time. You can stay here or you could go up to Lisbon. I said, no, I'm staying here because it was the first person that really sort of understood or was willing to understand. I'm like, I'm not going to Lisbon where I was faced with, you know, that negativity and dismissive um, behaviour. Um, so I stayed there all day and then late at night I went back up to the, uh, the bigger hospital and I finally got um, seen. I had had to be triaged again and I said to the triage nurse, he was lovely, I said, how long a wait? He's like, it could be a couple of hours. And I was like, I can't keep waiting. I was thinking I've been waiting for four months to get the appropriate help. I just can't keep waiting. And he was fantastic and I was seen within the hour um, by a mental health care nurse and was given more medication, which I was just like, this is not what I need. Um, but I went mm. home and I thought, you know, if this doesn't work, if this medication then puts me on another spin of more like another, if I can't sleep on this, uh, that I'm going to become committing suicide. Like I was like, I love my husband, I love my daughter, but I cannot keep going through this. This is hard. Well, it was beyond hard. This was, It was tragic and my body was hurting. My brain was actually such a physiological response my brain was actually hurting. My physical body was actually just aching because it, you know, I was just so thin. I was so skinny. My body was obviously just burning through everything I had. Um, and I was just like, that's, that's my choice. That's, that's, that's the option I have left because they said they can't do anything for me. Well, they keep sending me home on medication and it's not working. Um, and there's just no follow-up plan. The, 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 that's my option I need peace I just knew my only thing I just needed peace I needed some sort of end to something where I'd sort of be able to just go okay my body's got it um because as I was sort of going on the three days of no sleep and um it got to the point where I actually thought that if I was going to fall asleep I was going to die and I know that sounds very out not outrageous but very far-fetched um but I think when you're been through everything you have and your sleep has been impacted for so long and, you know, that you've been awake for so long that everything starts. There's no start and finish to anything. It's just all this big one wheel and then everything sort of intertwines. And I was just so paranoid because my body, I felt physically exhausted, beyond exhausted. My mind was, you know, very, very broken and fractured that I was like, my body is going to go, you know what? this is what she needs and just slip away and not wake up. Um, but then I was obviously mm. as a mother, you go, I don't want that for my baby. But yes. But then I got to the point where I was like, I just need peace. I need some sort of end because I haven't had an end for so long. Um, but that was my, 
that was my next, that was my option. I hadn't yet gone to planning. I had a few thoughts, but I hadn't got to that point because thankfully when I went home, I did get four hours sleep for the first time in three days. Um, and the following day they did send, they did follow up on their, um, their actual word and they did send two mental health care women out to my property uh, where we live and um, we were talking and one of the um, mental health care social workers said, she goes, she looked at me and she said, we've got you. We're not going to let you fall through the cracks. We're going to have a plan. We're going to be here every step of the way. And literally after she said that, I just had this sensation of like my body, I just, some, some internal thing just let go. And I had this real sense of like, oh, my gosh, yes, I don't have to keep fighting anymore. I don't have to keep, you know, saying I need help and begging for help almost while well, I was. Um, and you got relief. That, there was relief yeah. in there. And just she in acknowledged those, just, you for the first yeah. time. Yeah, And it was after that she said that they go, you're looking very glassy. I might go to let you sleep. So it was just though that phrase and that like understanding and looking in your eyes and going, you know what, and she honestly, she genuinely meant it. Like it wasn't like, you know, this is my job. I'm just saying this because this is what I've got to say. Like she genuinely meant it. And, you know, obviously from her saying that to them looking at me, like physically they could see that I, I ticked in something. They go, oh, okay, it's all right, you know. I can, you know, at least try and fall. I, I can, someone's got me, someone's there, you know. Not that my family weren't there. They were 100% there, but you knew that what they could provide was, wasn't exactly what you needed. You needed, like, specialised sort of help. So, um, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So that was giving that 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 sense of relief. Um, absolutely. But- and all mothers deserve some relief, Yeah. Yeah, but sometimes I think that you you need you need people like as much people can help like just friends and family. Sometimes you feel like you know no, I need like specialized. I need I need people who are sort of trained and deeply aware in this area to help me. And I think for me, even like I was aware of like mother and baby units because I just knew I was just like I knew, I know something's not right. I know I need to help. And I know I'm very anxious, highly anxious, but I know that trying to heal and get better mentally away from me is not going to work. I know I need to be with her. And even my doula was really helping me and trying to support me and we're we'll, looking we'll for mother and baby units in the area. And there's one closest to us, which is in Queensland, just like an hour and a half up the road, but it's only for Queensland residents. So that was like, I've got no hope of getting into that. Um, and the other ones were in we're in Sydney um and all the like during when I was really bad I was asking the hospital like is there a mother and baby unit like how can you how can you refer me how can you connect me like that's where I need to be I know that's where I need to be oh there's just nothing here there's nothing in the area for you so you know yes sorry with that can you share about you know you mentioned you were advocating for a mother and baby unit like what's happened with that just before we finish up I just want to make sure we have time so people know if they want to help and about the petition and the signatures so that would be great if we could yeah have more information about if anything's you know moved forward advocating for this support because that's what you know that's what we've all kind of realized was lacking in in both of our experiences and and many more many other mothers and it's very very sad because there's also many mothers who don't you know who aren't still with us because the support wasn't there and they probably did you know take their life or do something that um, gave them relief and I understand because I got to that place too and I just wanted that relief I didn't want to not be here and not be with my child and my husband and my loved ones but I just the 
the pain yeah. is so intense that you just you're praying for relief and you don't know any other way so let's look at the yeah this this mother and baby unit or or the petition or things that we can get moving to help support moving forward yeah so I've sort of all sort of that six month mark I sort of um wrote to my sort of local MP saying um that that what had happened to me and that like we need something more substantial and a mother and baby unit is exactly what we need. And so she then um, emailed or well, forwarded my, my, my email to the local health district in the area and um, in northern New South Wales and she and they responded saying, explaining what a mother and baby unit was and it needs, requires like budget enhancement and skilled, um, skilled professionals and uh, also a suitable location to be sought. Um, so that was you know, probably stock standard, which it was a good respectful response um, and obviously entailed sort of what was needed. Um, but there was no shift and move forward from there. So then I contacted um, another MP in the area and he was super su- supportive and sort of then um, emailed sort of Brad Hazard, uh, the Minister for Health, um, and I also emailed Ronnie Taylor, who's the Minister for Mental Health as well. Um, and then I got a cumulative response sort of through my other local MP and both of their officers practically stating the same thing um, that, you know, needs budget enhancement, you know, skilled professionals, suitable location, et cetera. Um, So there was no sort of answer or no, you know, commitment to anything. Um, Mm. And so then I was sort of like, well, what else can I do? So then I sort of found that I could, you know, do a petition. So um, I'm petitioning okay. for a mother and baby unit in northern New South Wales, um, you know, and requesting that the, the government, um, you know, increases the budget, has budget enhancement in this area and recruits skilled staff and finds a suitable location for a mother and baby unit because simply oh, they did say that there, there's, there's ones in Sydney, there's a private one in Burwood and there's one built into RPA and there's another um one being built at Westmead, it should be open this year. Um, but and while women in the northern New South Wales can get referred to it, it's not a suitable. It's 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 not a suitable answer. It's like yes, that service is there, but for me to be able to have to drive here about eight nine hours to get down to Sydney, I was already spinning on three days of no sleep. Like that is a complex trip. And then yeah, once you should, and then once you still do, you know, start to recover, um, like what does my husband do? Is we've got a property here, we've got some not like pets, you know. How do how do you navigate that? And where does he feel like he needs to be down there supporting us and leaving his work and then no income and, you know, it, mm. it's not a suitable. They I think that the way that they wrote that was just like there's a service there you can get referred to. That's that's a, an efficient, you know, or sufficient solution. But really, it's it's not, um, you know, just to have something in Sydney. Like, what about those people out west, like Burke and, um, yes. you know, or way out way out west too? That you know, yes, they that they always get caught with you know Sydney services and things that they have to say need further support. Um, yeah, yeah, it's it's something that we need, sort of, you know, I'm only, I'm only up sort of near like um, in Lismore area, so like you're not going to it's regional in a way but it's not rural in any sense um and then you've yeah. got sort of the town like new england area so we definitely need to have like them spread around like i'm not asking for 50 but um even just one sort of in this area that you know because knowing that there's ones in queensland but you can't access them because you're a queensland resident well 
your only option Sydney, isn't it? So uh, yes. it's not, you know, these services, mother and baby units, they have psychiatrists, they have psychologists, they've got, um, you know, dietitians, physiotherapists, midwives, you know, trained lactation consultants. They've got everything in one place. So you know that whatever you need is going to be there. It's, you know, you know, you probably have an indefinite, you know, amount of time um, that you can be there to get support. You don't feel like you're going to be booted out at, you know, after two weeks and go, okay, you should be right now. Um, yeah. Know, it needs to be, that we need to have services like that. And I've since found out that apparently uh, Victoria do have about five of them and three, two of them or three of them in their regional areas. So, you know. Oh, wow. I mean, so it's possible understand then. It mm. is possible. So I understand Victoria is obviously, you know, different type of state and I'm not quite sure of their population compared to New South Wales. But, you know, if they've got something like that, then, you know, it makes sense that we need to have something like that. And the amount of responses, personal messages that I've had in regards to this petition is just so highlighting the need for it. Um, yes. And is women the... Who... Is the petition from... still available to be signed? So could, when yes. we share this podcast, we, we can put the link so people can just click on it and get we can get more signatures and more awareness around it? Yes, yes. So it's open until the 4th of May. So we still have a little while. And currently it's 6,000 okay. signatures. Um, right. So we need another 14,000, which is a huge amount, um, to be able to have it tabled for a discussion in Parliament, which is what I'm ultimately hoping for because if you get over 500, which we've already got, you get a, a, a ministerial reply, which I have no doubt it's going to be the exact same wording as the other two replies that I've already gotten. So Yeah, a copy um, and paste. <laughs> yes, a copy and paste, which, you know, is not a sufficient solution. So, yeah, yeah we've got a, a little while to get another... Um, Another fourteen thousand, which is it's it's huge, huge shift. Um, but you know, at least this is getting the word out there and 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 getting some getting some traction and getting some discussion happening. And the more people that message me, the more people that share their stories, are only adding to, uh, mm. only adding to the understanding that there's a huge need for it. Um, yes. Yeah. So it's so, okay. So cool. Well, that's well, that's yeah. great. We'll definitely share that when we share the podcast. And just Great. before we finish up, I just wanted to ask you if you have any last words or resources for the listeners. So anyone who's listening who is maybe just home from the hospital like you, you and I were and, and or has been back and asked for support and not getting it, like do you have any resources or words of advice that you would tell, you know, a new mother now or maybe a pregnant mother who feels a bit, um, a bit coerced into in, induction or anything like that, whatever comes to mind? I'd love to leave yeah, it with something. Yeah, it was something that really helped me, and I, I don't know how I came across it, but I'm so glad that I did, um, is the Aware Parenting podcast with um, Lyle Stone and Marion Rose. Um, they're both very, um, very highly trained in expertise in sort of the area of children and trauma and um you know, meeting your own needs and meeting your children's needs and sort of really harnessing, you know, what you need in your intuition um, and listening to their their podcasts um, and their, their, not advice, but their, um, their sort of reson- resonating points um, really sort of helped me start to heal and sort of heal from the trauma or understand the trauma um, 
yes. sort of understand a different layer of it. Um, they've got like, you know, yeah, many podcasts on birth trauma and crying and even stuff up way up to teenagers as well. So, um, so really listening to that and being able to understand um, sort of what they went through and go, okay, and understand sort of their traumas and then how it transpired from them and then sort of how how we sort of feel about it and how we get to it's more about a lot about moving and shifting feelings and learning how to sort of you know feel them move them and honor them rather than trying to distract and um yes uh, and, and get away from actually feeling it um but it, yes. for me it was because I was just getting so so much dumping of of everything like just trying to deal with my own traumas from the surgery and then physically I wasn't able to find space between all these feelings. So I was just so confused in this ball. I didn't, I, I didn't know how to start sifting through it. But listening to their podcasts and going, okay, I was able to sort of start pulling apart certain things and being able to feel and process traumas. And then there became space between my other thoughts and other things that were happening. So, um, okay. yeah, so that to me is something that, I mean, I know it's not into the medical world, but to me, that's something I, I could take away and, you know, you could do it in your own space and find when Evie was sleeping and listen to it. And I'd sort of feel really comforted by their words and the, the way they presented it. And it made sense. It resonated to me. So, um, yeah, that's yeah. I mean, in, term, in terms of the medical world with the vice there, I'm not, I'm still navigating that myself. I'm still sort of filtering through all that. So I can't, I can't really... I don't feel like I give any sound advice for that at the moment, but um, yeah, but yeah, no, that's I mean, it's fine. Mm. Thank yeah, you for sharing yeah. those anyway, and we'll put the petition right. link in there. And if anyone has any questions about anything we've spoken about, please contact either Melinda or myself. Um, I'll, you know, you'll have all my details when I share the podcast. So yeah, we are here to, you know, connect together, share our experiences, but also learn and grow from them. So hopefully, in the future, there can be support in place so mothers can be nourished and they're not feeling so disconnected so unwell so you know whatever's going on for the mother at the time so yeah thank you so much for sharing um, your amazing story I feel like I could do probably six more of these because there's so many different pockets that we could go into oh, definitely I'm, I'm happy for that <laughs> yeah so anyway we'll keep in touch and um, and we'll chat about and then we could maybe even do another one you know on a particular theme or topic. So then if people are struggling with that or experiencing that, you know, that can kind of link up to where they're at. And yeah, thank you for also um, taking action steps towards change with your petition and the letters you've written, because a lot of the time, you know, we, we want different things, but it also does take that action and coming together and hopefully it, it, it does um, even just get something rolling. Because, you know, I'm yes. sure you're not the only one, but if, you know, if, if a few of us get the ball rolling, other people come in eventually and then, you know, it builds and builds. So thank you for that. That's all right. I mean, just the last new thing is, I mean, they're all stories and they're all unique in their own, but they need to, there needs to be more than just stories and there needs to be purposed behind them. So that's, that's my reason for pushing forward. Yes. And yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And thank you for that. Um, thank you for, yeah, just showing up today and thanks for everything you've done on, on your journey so you could show up and share and and you know this has a ripple effect to everybody listening um that you that you can get through it even when it does seem 
really, really dim and dark, I, you know, I can relate to all of that as well. And, and it's, it's a shock sometimes about how much pain we can, we can navigate at times. So yeah, I appreciate your vulnerability and your time. Yeah, thanks, Kristen. All right. Thanks, Melinda. All right. Thank you. Bye. Bye.